Acts chapter 8. And um, so verse 1, this picks up right where we left off last week, right after the stoning of Stephen, which was a very major moment in church history. The first blood has been shed since Christ, and this kicks off the really intense persecution. And stuff had been going on, but now it's really, it's really getting intense. And verse 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, and Samaria, except the apostles. So what we're going to see tonight is the spreading of the church and the gospel. So while this persecution uh, really gets intense in Jerusalem, which is where they were all congregating, they were all meeting around the temple. They were still hanging around there. They did not see themselves as a new religion. They still saw themselves as Jews. And uh, thought they had claim to the temple, but the other Jews finally couldn't handle them anymore, so they run them off. And now it's intense, but you know what? This was a good thing because it actually caused the gospel to get spread and more people are getting saved as a result of this. And I believe that's what God wanted. But again, um, when we entered into the new era, God did not immediately reveal everything to them. These things happened Little by little, they learn things. And so a couple of reminders before we go start going through here is don't ever allow anyone to deceive you with weird doctrine based solely on a passage that's just giving a record of what happened. Okay? You know, and, and especially when they let it trump clear doctrinal passages. Don't do that. And people do that with some stuff in this chapter. And in the book of Acts, we're watching God slowly reveal truths to his church that were not previously known. And that's another thing we've got to understand. In the dispensational world, they, they look at it as, you know, once you entered into this new era, this whole new dispensation and just way of everything is being established. And that's not technically true. Okay, because what would happen as new dispensations or new information would come is sometimes things would change, but God is just revealing in more detail things that weren't previously known, things that were there many times, but were not fully understood. And that's, and so, you know, dispensationalism has gotten people a lot of confused on things. And so it's very important we get our, you know, we have our thinking right on this. So here, uh, this great persecution starts with the stoning of Stephen and it begins what caused the spread of Christianity to the other parts of the earth. That's what this event ultimately did uh, i believe this would also be what caused the formation of local churches because again there's no longer this focus on the temple anymore they can't hang around the temple anymore they're getting killed if they do that they're being physically driven away and the bible doesn't tell us this but it's just my opinion that when this happened when this stoning of stephen took place when this persecution is going on that people were probably wondering why god was allowing the jews to succeed in keeping them from the temple. And it, and it was probably through those things as people are, you know, asking questions, as people are studying the Bible, that eventually they figured out that, you know what? It's not about that temple anymore. Okay? We know that. It, it was never, you know, when, as soon as that veil rent, God was done with that temple, but the church has not figured that out yet. But they're figuring it out. It's happening. So uh, things are Things are changing. And so verse 2 
says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And the loss of Stephen was a great loss to the church. This was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost, did great things, did miracles, and uh, the people loved him. When they were looking for a deacon, the multitude chose him. So this is a sad day. This is someone that they cared for deeply. And it goes on to say, And as as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. And hailing means just to drag, draw, or pursue. He's literally going after people. And, you know, and this is just a great thing, too, because we, we all love a story where the villain becomes a good guy. And that's literally what happened here. I mean, Paul, or Saul, is a major villain during this time. And he, boy, did he ever make a change. You know, and, and in reality, while the Apostle Paul was one of God's greatest tools in getting the gospel spread throughout the earth. Isn't it interesting the way God used him to get the gospel spread through persecution? And then, you know, God used him to get the gospel spread through his participation in the church. It's just, it's, it's amazing how God did all these things. And so, um, in verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the world. And you know what? We are allowed to run you know, if they're physically coming after us, we're allowed to run. Okay? As Christians, we never see Christians being called to physically fight. And if the day comes where they just want to run us out of this town, run us out of this state, you know, if we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, you know, we're allowed to do that. But you know what we need to do, though, is keep preaching. You know, just go somewhere where they're not going to kill you. If the, and I think, I think that's important. I think mission, and when it comes to missions, I think missionaries should focus on areas where they're not going to kill you, you know, instead of places where they're trying to kill you. You know, that nation has made a statement, we don't want you. So go somewhere where they do want you. That's what we see them doing in the Bible. That's another subject for another day. But verse 5 says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, this is important, too. I just listened to a preacher recently, um, you know, who trying to teach dispensations, you know, they like to go and show how they did miracles back then in the book of Acts. You know, why can't we do miracles today? Different dispensation. There's a reason they did miracles back then, and there's a reason we're not really doing them today. And, and, and we'll, hopefully we'll cover that good in this chapter. If not, I'm sure we will in other chapters. But there's a lot of things people just don't understand about what was going on that I really hope you can get a hold of tonight, because this is really important. But it says there was great joy in that city. And this is another big moment, because just like before in the previous chapters, we see how the Jews got really mad because the Christians are preaching the gospel to the outcasts, people that they normally would exclude from things because they were undesirables. The church is accepting these people, and they had a big problem with that. Well, now they're really pushing it because they're going to Samaritans. Remember, the Jews hate Samaritans, but the Christians, they're, going, they're now going for these people. They're preaching, and, when they, and notice, too, that when Philip gets to this new group, that he's doing many miracles uh, when he preached to them. That's a very important thing 
to, uh, to understand. And so, uh, while this was a big deal, this doesn't show that they had full revelation yet about the gospel going to everyone. Because the church, it was already going after the outcast of Israel, and the Samaritans, you could say, were probably the most outcast of Israel. But, you know, there was, there was still, you know, they kind of had some claim. They were related. They did have a form of Judaism that they followed. It was not the right kind. But uh, them going to them, this is a huge step in the right direction. But it's still not a full-on, like, where they're going to the Gentiles, because we're going to see that doesn't really happen until chapter 10. So, uh, verse 9 says, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before a time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and he was baptized and continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And notice the miracles and signs again when he's preaching to the people in Samaria. Always remember that. Remember the miracles and signs that were done on Pentecost. These guys did a lot of miracles and signs. Every time, especially they get to a new group and they're preaching the gospel for the first time. Miracles and signs. Tongues was often a part of it too. We're going to see in chapter 10 when they preach to Cornelius and he gets filled with the Holy Ghost. You know what he did? He spoke in tongues. God was giving them a sign and he was doing it for a reason and it's important that we understand this. But verse, um, uh, verse 14. And so, a lot of people often debate whether or not Simon was saved. But I think this passage is pretty clear. He got saved. It mentions here he believed. Now, I don't know why people struggle with this because I think a lot of people get saved and are just really sorry Christians. And I think Simon is an example of that too. You know? And uh, verse 14 says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, it's passages like this that create all kinds of doctrinal questions for people, where it's explaining what happened, and then people like, this, this confuses the daylights out of people because, um, you know, everybody has their method of right division, as they call it, as far as when things changed. And this just doesn't seem to fit because like, wait a minute, if these people got saved, how come they didn't have the Holy Ghost? Pentecost already happened. And I thought that's when the Holy Ghost thing started. So why, why did they have to have, you know, Peter and uh, John show up and lay hands on them before they receive the Holy Ghost. Didn't we receive the Holy Ghost as soon as we got saved? You know, so this brings up a lot of questions. So why didn't these people receive the Holy Ghost right away when they got saved since Pentecost has already happened? And in my, you know, and in one of the charts that I saw on dispensations, you know, it put at Pentecost, that's when everybody got the Holy Spirit. But these people didn't have it yet. What did it, and you know, and so here's the other question too. What did it mean when it said the Holy Ghost fell on them? You know, did they go into a Pentecostal fit right then? Is that what it's talking about? You know, so the Pentecostals have something. 
You know, did they start running Longoria laps? I mean, uh, you know, what happened? So, uh, another question, you know, when did these things change? You know, at what point in the book of Acts do we finally enter our current dispensation, for lack of a better term? And here's another question. Why does it say they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus instead of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? What are we going to do about all this? All right. Well, very important. Let me just hit a few verses to just kind of explain something that the Bible describes. In 1 Corinthians 13, 9, it says, For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, or complete, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known even as I am known. And this here is specifically talking about, you know, just our knowledge of God. That's what it's talking about. And we will have complete or perfect knowledge of him one of these days when we see him face to face. Now we only know in part. But we see a principle here that, you know, there are things of God, things in the Bible that, you know, throughout time, we've, we've only known part of it. But then once we get that new revelation, you know, that which was, you know, in part before we don't really use anymore. Do you understand? We're, we're growing, all right? We're maturing. We see in Hebrews 8.13, in that he saith, a new covenant... He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old, talking about the old covenant, is ready to vanish away. Well, I thought it vanished away at the veil of the temple. Again, these things that the book of Acts, you know, and at risk of sounding like a hyper dispensationalist, you know, it is a transitional book. Because even though things did immediately change at the cross, God did reveal what had changed over time. And so there are some things that we see going on then that were a little different because God is revealing things to his church. And so, uh, and even normal dispensationalists, they'll go to this passage that we just looked at and all they do is just confuse the daylights out of you and then just say, you just got to understand dispensations. And that's code for just trust me, I know what I'm talking about. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm smarter than you. Just go buy Larkin's book. And, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what they do with it. But, um, said at, you know, said at risk of sounding like a hybrid dispensationalist, Acts is a transitional book. And, you know, we can argue the nanosecond of when the new, of when the new dispensation came in, you know, or the new covenant, you know, on one hand, you could say it was at the renting of the veil, but you could also argue it was at the resurrection. Or you could say, well, no, it was at Pentecost. You know, there's a lot of, uh, different ideas, and these are interesting conversations. But in my opinion, I think the nanosecond of the new covenant, or the whatever you want to call it, it would have been at the death of Christ when the veil was rent. I think that was the nanosecond. But understand, while everything changed at that moment, the changes that came with the new covenant were revealed over time. So we are seeing unique things take place in the book of Acts that, you know, we're not necessarily we shouldn't be seeing today because what God was revealing during that time has now been revealed. Therefore, why do it again? Okay. We have gone on. We have a more perfect knowledge now. Therefore, we don't need those things. And to 
want to go back to those things is kind of carnal. It's kind of childish. You know, now that we are more mature, we need to put away childish things. And what we have today is actually better. I know you think it'd be better, you know, if I, it'd be a better sermon if I got up here and performed miracles, but that's just because you're carnal. In reality, the Word of God should do as much or more. But again, that's where faith comes in. And you know what? That's what God wants. So things actually should be better right now. But again, if you want to know the, a nanosecond of when we were fully in this new dispensation, because again, I think Book of Acts is transitional. So when, when did we finally fully enter the time like we're in right now? And in my opinion, I would say it would have been at the completing of the scriptures or maybe you could say at the death of John, the last apostle. And the reason for that is because the apostles were especially sent by Jesus Christ and they were the authority of the church. And not only were the apostles the authority of the church, did you know that they are still the authority of the church? Now, how are they the authority of the church? And this is some of you, this is what you got to get a hold of. Some of you all heard weird stuff before that, that might throw you off on this a little bit, but I'm going to show this crystal clear. Listen, the apostles are still in charge because we have their words. We have their writings. We have the scriptures. So now, so we have everything that we needed so the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So... Um, I believe those miracles were things that were only needed during that time. I believe those signs were things needed during that time until God finished fully revealing all the truths that came with the new covenant. And we have those things right now. And so, again, having said all that, you know, we need to understand that God did many signs during this time before the scriptures were written to reveal these truths to the church and the world. And so when major events would take place like the full gospel going to the Jews at Pentecost or the gospel going to the Samaritans, and we're going to see the same thing uh, in a couple weeks when it goes to the first Gentile, that God would do signs through the Holy Ghost. And a lot of times it would involve things like tongues. And God also over time revealed his will that he had from the foundation of the world that through preaching and he, and he revealed it through the preaching of the Word of God from the Old Testament. God revealed a plan that he had, his plan of salvation, that he had from the foundation of the world. God chose to reveal this to us through the preaching of the Word of God. And the preaching that they did was from the Old Testament. And that preaching that they did from the Old Testament gave an understanding of the Old Testament that was not previously known. And we'll see examples of that here in a little bit. That was what God chose. So here we are in the book of Acts, and you know what we're seeing in the book of Acts? Preaching. And you know what God is doing in that preaching? God is revealing hidden truths from the Old Testament. That was God's plan. And so we've got all the preaching. We've got the entire New Testament. What God wanted to reveal has been revealed. So... I, I do. I believe the current era that we are in, we fully got in it at the completing of the scriptures, or you could say the death of the final apostle, in, in my opinion. So there is no need for the miracles 
and the signs anymore. And you know, why on earth would anyone today even need tongues when we have the Bible? You know, I've never need. You know, we we don't need it. You want it for a show. That's why people want it. They want it for a feeling. You know, they want it, they just want to get excited and pass out. You know, I and I don't understand that, but there there are obviously some kind of draw to it. I I, I tend to think it's demonic, but tongues is another subject. But these these weaker things. And they were weaker things. While they were good and they were right in God's time and according to his, his will, they are also things that wicked people would seek after for their own benefit. And so what do we see with all the people that are promoting tongues and science today? We see people, we see guys exactly like Simon the sorcerer. And so it says, so finally, though, so let's, um, those questions that I asked, again, uh, lost my spot in the notes. So why did, didn't these people receive the Holy Ghost right away when they got saved? Again, God was revealing something to them during that time. They didn't have the completed scriptures then. And so God, when, he's, when these new things are coming along, God used the apostles and these men to do miracles to show them. And so I believe when they received the Holy Ghost too, it wasn't even, I think they already had the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. I believe this Holy Ghost falling on them wasn't empowering God did where he would do signs and miracles to show them that this is real, what's going on. And again, we don't need those things today. We have the completed scriptures. So I don't think the Holy Ghost falling on them, empowering them and doing signs, I don't think that because that happened yet, I don't think that means that they weren't indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's important to understand. Uh, so I, you, know, you have to define what it means when the Holy Ghost falls on them. And I think it empowered them and, and miracles were done. You know, did any of you all do any miracles when you got saved? No. You know, and so, uh, and it's not because we're in a new dispensation. It's just because we have full revelation. We don't need that. There is no need for mir- the miracles. So, um, why does it say they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? You know, are the modalists right and what they're saying? But, you know, here's what you've got to understand about this. First off, this passage is not explaining a mode of baptism. It's just telling us, you know, it was, uh, it was just explaining the fact that they were only baptized but hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. And, you know, did you know if you get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you got baptized in the name of Jesus? So the thing is, we do have a passage where he tells us how to do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So why would we exclude them? You know, it just, it's a bad, it's bad reasoning. I wouldn't use this to justify something like that. And if, if you got baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, you got baptized in the name of Jesus because he's the Son. So verse 18 says, When Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in a gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And you know, the gift of the Holy Ghost is not something that they were ever supposed to sell. And understand, we don't have the ability to give it like they did back then. Because... We don't, we're not doing signs. We're not doing miracles. 
And you know what? To go around doing signs and miracles for money would be super wicked. And that's what this guy wanted to do. But, you know, either way, it was something that was not for sale. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 7, when he empowered the disciples to go out and preach and to do miracles, he said, go preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Hey, he... He gave them that ability so they would under, so to prove that what they were saying was truly of God. But you know what he told them? I gave this to you for free, and you give it away for free. Don't you dare go charging people for this. Verse 24, Then answered Simon and said, Pray you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And you know, for some reason, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened after this. But we hopefully at least learn the importance of not using the Holy Ghost for financial gain. And it, it, it's interesting. He, the Bible does not tell us what happened. Did Peter pray for him? You know, did, you know, did this guy ever get right? We don't know. But uh, all I know is I'm not going to use the things of God to try to just get financial gain. We, and you know what? False prophets, we know they do things for filthy lucre's sake. And it's super wicked. So verse 25 Says, and they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And so while this man is an Ethiopian, it's very clear that he's a proselyte Jew, because he's coming to Jerusalem to worship. And we know that they had proselytes. So again, we're still not fully to the Gentiles yet. This is a proselyte Jew. He's even got a portion of the book of Isaiah with him. That's not something Gentiles were carrying around back then. And so it says, and this is amazing too, you've, you've got a great revival going on in Samaria, which is a big deal. God's doing a great work in Samaria and God has Philip leave Samaria to go get the one guy. And again, what do we see this one guy doing? He's searching the scriptures. He's wanting to know the truth. And you know what? God made sure he got it. That's the same thing we're going to see with Cornelius in chapter 10. People who want to know the truth, um, you know, God has miraculous ways of making sure that they get it. And that's why too, you know, we're always, what about all these people in these other countries? If, if there's people that want to know the truth, I believe God's going to get somebody to them. God did a miracle here to um, you know, make sure this guy got the gospel. And so and he was, re uh, was returning, sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. But, and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest what thou readest. And he said, how can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired, desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, folks, this is not a doctrinal statement proving that no one can get saved from reading a Bible, the Bible, or a tract. That is not what we are seeing here. The, it, it blows my mind that anyone would use this verse to teach that. Because look, it says in verse 32, The place of the scripture which you read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before a shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, 
his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Okay? Now, folks, we know exactly what that means. And you want to know why we know exactly what that means? From preaching, from John, from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, from Paul. They have clearly revealed, the scriptures have clearly revealed who this is talking about. But folks, if you, all you have is this, are you going to be able to get saved from that? I mean, how are you going to get Jesus dying on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection? Now, we can see it. Why? You know why? Because we've been given the revelation. We've been, we've been given the things that have unhid what was hidden before. And, and that's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about God using preaching. We're going to look at some scriptures here in a minute. But look, verse 34 says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Philip preached Jesus from Isaiah. Now, do you not think that Philip didn't, uh, that only used Isaiah? I'll bet Philip, we know Philip talked about Jesus. He said there was a man named Jesus in Jerusalem, not that long, just very recently. He lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. He had no sin. He, he went and he died on the cross. It was payment for, for man's sins. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He went and he preached Jesus. He told him the things that he saw. He told him all the things that we see recorded in the Gospels. And when he, when he did that, you know what? Now, all of a sudden, the book of Isaiah came alive to this eunuch. He now understood the Scriptures because somebody preached Jesus to him. And he got, and he got saved. And so the proof text that people often use to prove someone can't get saved from reading the Bible or track actually prove opposite if we look at those passages and we take them in context. Uh, turn over to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 in verse 3. Now, typically what you do, uh, the routine, the way it goes, is I start screaming verses where it says preaching. Where does it say anything about tracts and printed materials? Uh, using... Uh, what do they call that? The uh, What's the logical fallacy that is? The red herring? But it says in Titus 1.3, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which he committed unto me, according to the commandment of God our Savior. Let's go back one verse. Verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Did you know God promised salvation before the world began? But how did God reveal that salvation? Through preaching. Right? Through the preaching of the apostles. Their preaching revealed God's plan. Folks, our New Testament is God's revealed plan of the ages. And so, yes, you're not going to read the Old Testament by itself and get saved. But when you get the preaching of the New Testament, which is preaching from the Old Testament, it sheds it, it sheds light on the old testament it brings the old testament to life and so to say that somebody can re read this new testament but there's no way they could, are capable of figuring out salvation i think that's i think that's nuts i mean obviously you know it helps a lot having somebody guide you and have somebody 
uh, help you. I'm not saying just hand people a Bible and say, figure it out yourself. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all, but it's not, it, it doesn't make logical sense to say that it can't be done. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What, the death, burial, and res, resurrection that Paul preached to them was from the Scriptures, from the Old Testament. So folks, in, he talks all about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. That's Paul preaching the death, burial, and resurrection. Why wouldn't somebody be able to get saved from reading Paul's account? What if I was standing there listening to him say it? Then I could magically get saved, but if I read it, I can't? These are are foolish arguments. They don't make any sense. Uh, So if the gospel was according to the scriptures, which is what Paul said, he said, Paul said, this gospel I'm preaching is according to the scriptures. So why was it not known before? Why was the resurrection hid from their eyes? Why did the disciples not understand it? You know why? Because God hadn't revealed it yet. But when did God reveal it? God revealed it at the preaching of the apostles. That's what it's talking about. And so if we have the record of their sermons that they preached, of course you can get saved from that. There's, there's no reason you wouldn't. He, uh, Ephesians 3, 2 says, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote for in few words, whereby when ye read... Ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs unto the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So again, what was in the Old Testament is what we believe today, but it was not understood like it's understood today. So why do we understand it today? Because of the preaching of the apostles, because of their writings, because of what Paul wrote, we are now able to understand the things of the Old Testament that we wouldn't have understood by themselves. Yeah, if all you had was Isaiah 53, you're not going to understand the gospel. If all you have is the Old Testament, you're not even going to understand the gospel going to the Gentiles the way it did. They missed that too. But now we can't help but go back to the Old Testament and see the salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection, salvation going to the Gentiles. We can't help but see that. You know why? Because the Old Testament has been revealed to us through the preaching that is in the New Testament. So, um, again, on, on one hand, what they're saying is right. On the other hand, they're completely misapplying it. God used the preaching of the apostles to reveal truths that were not previously known or fully understood. Once those things were revealed, they were revealed. The cat was out of the bag. And so when we proclaim those exact same things today, you could say that we also are preaching, but understand we are only echoing what has already been revealed. Okay. And I hope nobody in here is preaching anything different than what's revealed in the new Testament than what Paul preached. But understand, though, if a preacher comes along today, okay, 
and tries to reveal a new truth that no one has ever seen before and then tries to use verses about God using preaching to reveal truths that were previously hidden, we're not going to listen to him. You know why? Because God used the apostles to reveal these truths. And so I can't use that verse about myself in the same way. Anything that I preach is previously revealed material. And if I'm revealing new stuff, unless I start doing some miracles, you guys probably want to walk out. And even if I do some miracles, you might want to walk out too. Because the Antichrist is going to do some miracles. And uh, so I, 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 yeah, there's a reason God had to do those miracles. To prove the legitimacy of what they were saying is God is revealing these truths. But it's, folks, it's done. And I don't believe God's been holding off on some extra truth for the last 2,000 years waiting for Tommy McMurtry to come along. I just, that'd be cool. All right, that would, that would work out good for me. But I just, I don't think that's the case. So we only listen to the apostles and those who God used with many signs. And we use their, we use their writings. And much of the New Testament is literally a transcript of someone preaching the gospel. And so to claim someone can't get saved from that is absolutely ridiculous. So on one hand, I agree 100% that no one can hear without a preacher. Understand that. I, I, I believe that. But I also believe that the written words of the New Testament of men who are revealing hidden truths from the Old Testament scriptures, I believe those things are also a preacher. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he being witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. How is he speaking if he's dead? What's going on? Well, we're not going to read through all of Hebrews chapter 11, but at Hebrews chapter 11, example after example of people who by faith did great works. And then you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 after going through that hall of faith? It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Is that talking about our soul winning group while we're going out there? Who are the witnesses, folks? It's Moses. It's Abraham. It's Sarah. It's Abel. It's all those people that were mentioned. The Bible says that they are witnesses and we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. So, folks, don't straw man me. Nobody's getting saved without a witness. Nobody's getting saved without somebody preaching them the gospel. But don't try to tell me that this doesn't preach. You better believe it preaches. You better believe that, you know what? Guys like John are still getting people saved. You know why? Because we have his words. We have his preaching and we have his witness. He was a witness of the resurrection of Christ. And you know what? People are still receiving his witness. I didn't witness the resurrection of Christ. I'm not a legitimate witness. I wasn't there. Now, I'm a witness of the Holy Ghost. You know, I'm a witness of what God has done in my life. But folks, I didn't witness the resurrection. But you know what I can do? I can introduce people to a witness of the resurrection, to the word of God, and people will be saved by that. So nobody's getting saved without... A witness, but this is a witness. Acts fifteen twenty one says, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So because people are reading Moses, Christ is being preached, 
in the synagogues because he's being and it's while they're being read. It literally says that it is being, Moses is being preached by being read in the synagogues. Don't tell me that people aren't going to get anything from reading. Now, and I get it. Christians have gotten really lazy and they've gotten really timid and they would, they would just rather hand somebody a tract than verbally give them the gospel. And let me tell you something. I think you know, verbally speaking with somebody is far more effective. I think it's the best way. We're not just going to do track drops. But you know what? Let's not pretend you're doing nothing by giving someone a track. If they read it, that's a good thing. You know, they, you planted a seed. They might even get saved. I, I don't understand why it doesn't make sense that somebody, I could literally say all the exact, take all the words from a track. And it's not supposed to work if somebody reads it, but if I verbally say it, then it'll work. And folks, according to the Bible too, you know, again, it, hearing, it's not about audio. It's about understanding. It's about receiving. And so if somebody reads it, hopefully they also hear it. And that, that's, that's very possible to do that. So this... I think this argument is just a dumb, contentious argument used to discredit the labors of those who probably aren't as efficient as they should be. And I, I just, I don't think that's right. I wish people would be more bold. I wish they would be more aggressive. I wish they would actually knock doors. I wish they would, you know, confront people. I wish they'd do all that stuff. I think it's better. And, you know, we're going to do those things. But you know what? Hand out tracks, too. Sometimes, again, when some people won't let us talk to them, but they'll take the track. I hope they read it, and I think it will do something. Uh, so um, understand, when the Bible is talking, you know, giving those verses where we scream preaching, again, it's referring to God revealing truths of the Old Testament through the preaching of the apostles. And these things have been revealed, and we have the revelation right here in the New Testament. And so we're going to uh, you know, give people John and Romans, give people Bibles. And hopefully they'll read it. You know, and today in our culture, people are so people don't read that much. But I think in earlier cultures, you know, giving people Bibles and tracts was probably more effective because people did read a lot more back then. And there are still some people today that they they prefer reading something than even watching a video. But you know, it's amazing. You know, we think somebody can get saved from watching a YouTube video, but not from reading something. And I do believe people can get saved from watching a YouTube video. But I, I, I think, and I think today in today's culture, they're probably more likely to because people can barely read. <laughs> but, but at the, and, and even if they know how to read, they have no attention span. You know, you got to have the graphics and everything to hold their attention, you know, because that's how people's brains work. But again, previously, you know, reading was a much more effective thing. And there are people today, they are, they... That's, they like to look, analyze, and, and it is. It's, it's very effective. I was, just, I was just at, a couple weeks ago, uh, can't think of the name of the place, but they, they print and distribute tracts all over the world. They get testimonies in all the time from people who get their tracts and got saved. They've got contact information on there. And while I was there, while I was at the place, they were contacted from someone in some Muslim country. I forgot which one. 
But they, while I was there, they got, they were all excited because somebody literally just contacted them from some, one of these countries and got one of the tracks that they had in that language. They have no idea who gave it to them, but somehow somebody in one of these countries got a hold of, one of those tracks and read it and called the Lord and, and contacted them and told them about it. Oh, uh, where, where was the preacher? I'll tell you where it was. It was in that message. It was in that. It was in those scriptures, talking about Jesus. That's where the preacher was. Who was the, who was the preacher? I don't know. Maybe John. Probably Paul. That's probably who the preacher was. And and so, um, you know, these are. This is just common sense stuff. But Acts eight thirty six. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so while this is just a story of what happened, one thing I like about this story is it does happen to line up perfectly with everything we believe about salvation and baptism. Yes, this is not giving us a, you know, this is not Paul writing down instructions for getting someone saved and baptism. But isn't this exactly what we teach? One, that you don't get baptized unless you believe first. Obviously, he talked about baptism when he preached to him Jesus. The eunuch sees water. I, yeah, I want to get back. What's, what's hindering me to be baptized? Do you believe? And he said, I do. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he baptized them. And you know what they did too? They went down into the water. Why did they do that? You, if you're traveling in a desert, I promise he's got a canteen or something. He's got water on his chariot with him. So why doesn't Philip just do some hocus pocus and bless it and make it holy water and then just sprinkle them? He takes them down into what you know why? Because they always used immersion, and so this is you know this lines up with everything we teach, and uh, so that's encouraging. In verse thirty-nine, and when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passed through and preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, folks. He literally vanished. We, we literally had a rapture take place. Literally. I mean, he got, he got caught away in the Holy Ghost and is in another city. That, I mean, not only is that just cool, all right, but again, that just showed that Ethiopian eunuch how important he was. And it also shows us how important Philip was because, again, while God wanted that one guy to get saved, there's still a lot more people that need to get saved. So God literally just transport him to the city where he wants him to go. And then while he's on his way to Caesarea, you know what he's doing? He's preaching everywhere along the way too. You know what? This is just a reminder for us to do too. We just, we need to be preaching everywhere. We need to always be looking. We need to all, always be ready. I think I, I, I am a hundred and thousand percent for scheduled soul winning. But I think we should always be soul winning. I think we should always be looking for opportunities to preach the gospel to somebody and to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And, and, and you know, and that's exactly what it. And, you know, this is funny, too, because you have these people. I, you know, you get questioned all the time when we go preaching the gospel, to these different cities. Well, what church are you all sending them to? You know, you baptizing these folks. 
You know, you're making them disobedient to God. Well, did they have any churches in Azotus yet? But no, what did Philip do when he showed up there? He preached. And then as he's, he's passing through these cities, what's he doing? He's preaching, getting people saved. They didn't have any churches there yet. But you know what? Those cities now had some saved people. You know, and I imagine eventually they got some churches there. But you know what? Don't let people discourage you with that. You are never hurting somebody by getting them saved, even if they don't have a church to go to. That's just the dumbest thing. And it's because soul winning in a lot of churches today has become nothing more than outreach, you know, as a way of just, you know, getting the community into the church. And it is, that is one more function of it. That's a benefit of it, you could say. It's a great way to advertise the church. That's what we're doing when we do it. But at the end of the day, soul winning is supposed to be just that, soul winning, not body winning. You know, body winning is, you know, so we can get them into the church, so we get the tithe, so, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But uh, that's not, what's Philip getting from these people? Nothing. But what are they getting? They're getting salvation. And so we literally so see a, just an amazing miracle take place just showing how God cares for one soul. And it's just also evidence how God was using these great men to reveal his word at a time when it was not all pinned down. Yeah, you, you take Genesis through Malachi, and man, can, can you imagine if all you had was Genesis through Malachi? You know, you know we would probably be a lot like the Jews. And look how blind those people are. Look how much that they're missing out on. We need this New Testament to help us understand the Old Testament. And I thank God that he used those men to preach. And I'm glad we have their preaching because now I can look at the Old Testament and I get it. I understand it. I see Jesus Christ all over in it. And you know what? I got saved because I got saved through preaching, through through another preacher echoing the words of this preacher. But it wasn't him just echoing it too. It was them showing me what the Bible says. And that's what we've got to do. And any preaching we do, if you start revealing new information, we're, you know, we're probably going to throw you out of the church. That's not right. And if you're going to do it, at least do some miracles. And then we're still going to have to really pray about it because <laughs> the Antichrist is going to do miracles. So... Uh, anyway, I hope this was a help and help you understand what's going on in the book of Acts a little better. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing chapter that we read. And Lord, I pray if, any, if we get anything from it, Lord, it'll just inspire us to preach wherever we go. Lord, it's, just, it's neat while they were in a difficult time seeing their zeal for souls and just uh, taking every opportunity they could to just tell people about you and help us to continue to just renew that in our mind to just... Always be looking for opportunities to give somebody a witness. In your name we pray. Amen.